Welcome to the Siren Thriving Podcast, inspiring you to own your years and thrive for life. A place where we think money helps you become more of who you already are. The sunlight to your seed. Welcome to Financial Fitness with Siren and Sasha, where we help absolute beginner investors like you get started on your journey to financial freedom by making investing accessible through digestible, organized, and action-oriented content. I would like to welcome my co-host with the most, Sasha. Welcome, Sasha. Howdy audience and you. So we have come to the end of our first series on financial fitness, and we are going to talk about opportunity cost of capital. So Sasha, can you start us off by explaining what is opportunity cost of capital? Sure. So opportunity cost is simply a decision you make between two choices. If you are choosing between two restaurants for lunch, let's say Chinese food or Mexican, and you choose Mexican, the opportunity cost you made there is you did not get Chinese. That was the cost. You can only choose one. Okay. So between the two choices, it cost me the one that I didn't choose. Correct. And if you have more than one choice, it also means all the other choices you could have made instead of that choice. So if I'm buying a car... And I have to choose between a Mustang or a Camaro or a Lexus. Since I can only afford one, the one that I choose costs me the other ones. And not necessarily just choosing that one vehicle over the other. It could be that the vehicle you chose has all-wheel drive, but the vehicle you didn't choose is a convertible. So Mm. you make trade-offs of what you value more. I see. Okay. That feels very key. Making trade-offs for what you value more because the way you initially described it, it almost gave it a negative connotation. I'm always making choices. It's costing me like I'm losing every other possibility, which I know that's not you were getting at, but I know that that can lead to overwhelm for those of us that choose things endlessly. So between the choices you have to, you choose the one that you value more and you're aware of what you won't get by making that choice. So it's definitely not necessarily financial. This is just a concept that applies to any point where you have to make a choice between two or more things. Okay. Sounds good. So how do we apply this to investing? There's a couple of ways to really conceptualize opportunity costs when it comes to investing. A common word that's added onto this is capital. Because When you are deploying your capital or investing it in anything, you're making a choice where to invest it. So if you invested in A, that means you did not invest it in B or C or D or all the other choices you could have made. Also, if your capital is just sitting uninvested, that is also a choice. Keeping your capital in the asset we call cash, there's an opportunity cost to that, right? There's inflation that's eating it away. That's a cost. Also, all all the other assets you could have invested in that would have returned a interest on it or a rate of return. If you didn't get it, that's what it cost you. Okay. So if I'm making the choice between investing my money or letting it sit in cash, if I choose to let it sit in cash, it is costing me inflation because as we've learned very clearly, inflation eats away at the value of my money. And it is also costing me 
the positive gains that I would have received had I invested that money. So it's a twofold cost by just sitting in cash. So one way that we can apply opportunity cost to investing clearly is that it should convince you to invest. Because if you understand that having your money just sit in cash literally costs you by inflation and by losing the gains that you would have received, then you should be easily convinced to invest. Yeah. And this is always applied because investing is basically a game of making decisions. Sometimes you're making decisions, first of all, if or not to invest. And then if you decide to invest, what to invest in, when to invest it, and for how long. Mm. All of these decisions you're making and investing come with opportunity costs. And you have to compare which is the best decision and what are the other options that are costing you for you to make the best decision. So take everything into consideration. That is super important. So opportunity cost doesn't only apply to investing in that it should convince Mm -hmm. you to invest. It is also something that you should consider with each decision that you make in investing. And you mentioned a bunch of variables. So I think the next thing we should talk about is how to use opportunity cost as a strategy for investing using some of those variables. Sure. So... I have a few examples, but one I think will really drive this home is speaking of home, when you're purchasing perhaps your first home, one of the decisions you'll have to make is how much or how big of a down payment are you going to put down? And there's opportunity costs with with that decision. And this is a very important decision. And sometimes I feel people make the wrong one here because they don't understand the opportunity cost of the capital they're putting down as down payment. So if I could, I would like to drive us through two examples of uh, a person purchasing a home that puts down 20%, which is the standard, or 5%, which is the minimum you can put down in the United States for a mortgage. So you may ask, why would somebody put down more money, 20% instead of 5%, right? So there are some incentives to do that, but they're deceptive. Okay. So let's say, for example, you're purchasing a $500,000 home. A down payment of 20% is $100,000. And I chose this as a round number just because the math is easy. Assuming the current interest rate is let's say 3.8%, and you're getting a 30-year mortgage, calculating in annual taxes for California, your monthly payment comes out to about $2,147. Are you with me? Yep. Okay. So over the life of this loan, you're going to pay $270,978 in interest. And calculating the interest and the principal, the total you will pay and taxes and everything will be $772,978. Let's remember that number. Now, your other option is to put down only 5%. Same house, same deal for the interest that you're paying, which means you will only put down $25,000, okay? Now, the downside to this is you will have to pay mortgage insurance. That additional cost for the mortgage insurance is about $18,000. But the main difference here is your monthly payment, if you put down 20%, will be about 2100 
And if you put down only 5%, will be about 2,700, okay? Which means during the life of the loan where you paid only 5% down, you will pay more in interest. You'll pay about $140,000 more in interest. Now you say, well, that sounds like a terrible idea. I will pay more in interest and my monthly payment will be bigger. That seems like a double whammy. Plus I'm paying the insurance. Okay, this is where opportunity cost comes in. Your choices were to put down 100,000 yes. or 25. You only put down 25. That means you had $75,000 left over in the bank. If you remember our episode on compound interest and uh, compound interest calculator, if we plug in $75,000 there and we put it in for 30 years, a 10% interest, okay? Compounding, that will be worth $1.3 million. So your choices are pay $140,000 more, but end up with $1.3 million extra in your bank or save $140,000 over 30 years on interest, but not have the $1.3 million in your stock account. Wow. Okay. So first of all, we are going to have that exact example in our show notes. So it can be helpful to look at those numbers and follow along while Sasha walks us through that example. And because it's numbers and we're doing this via podcast, I just want to summarize what you just said. So you're teaching us opportunity costs and we're applying it to capital. The example we're using is purchasing a home. In one scenario, they put 100000 down. In another scenario, they put $25,000 down. The person that puts $100,000 down will end up saving $140,000 in interest in 30 years, and they'll be paying less monthly. Sounds great. But the person that puts $25,000 down and then invests that $75,000 in 30 years, they will have made $1.3 million. So this is amazing. I think it's so enlightening to understand this. And I just want to acknowledge that this can feel really overwhelming because until somebody really walks you through these steps, like Sasha just did, it's hard to know what is worth calculating. So this is where financial literacy comes in and how important it can be. And it can literally be the difference in millions. So thank you so much for walking us through that. How do you apply that to your investing? So when calculating opportunity cost of different choices, it is a good idea to use probability of the outcome you want. Let's say you're looking at two different assets to invest in. Now, I wouldn't recommend you just choose one and just go all in. It's a good portfolio construction practice to diversify your assets because they can counterbalance each other during different periods of volatility. But let's say you're just trying to deploy some capital and you have to make a choice. Well, I would look what is the average rate of return of different assets you could invest in. And by looking at what's the highest rate of return you can get should sway you slightly towards that one. If you're going to look at gold, you're going to look at real estate, stocks, crypto, and look for last 10 years, which one has the greatest return rate, well, you'll quickly discover it's crypto. So should you just ignore it? Or should you consider that if you don't invest in it, there's an opportunity cost of you losing out on it? 
200% a year gains that it has shown for the last 13 years. Really smooth plug for our upcoming series on cryptocurrencies. So when you have dry powder, which is the investing term for money that you can use to invest, you can also make choices between assets and calculate your opportunity there and obviously weigh it with other things like your strategy, your risk tolerance, etc. Which again, we will cover those concepts and terms in future episodes. So now let's move on to applying opportunity cost to personal finance. I think opportunity cost can make you become more aware of your financial situation. And that is valuing your money in the future more than you value your money now. So Sasha, can you walk us through some examples of applying opportunity cost to our general lifestyle? Sure. So the concept of valuing your future consumption more than your current is predicated upon you being able to invest in something that will increase in value or hold value into the future. So a good store of value. So if you think about your daily spending or your annual spending on things and having a good way to track your budget, There's apps for this, and I'm sure you have a lot of great recommendations being an organizational guru when it comes to tracking personal finances and budgeting. You can discover places where you could possibly save on or be slightly more frugal, and not just for the sake of being frugal and saving money, but understanding the opportunity cost of not doing. So little expenses that are frivolous can add up over time. And if that money was not spent, instead, if it was invested, and because of the power of compound interest, you can calculate how much those few hundred dollars you could have saved each month would be in 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. And when you really understand compound interest and the opportunity cost of waste, then you will become more empowered to view not just the today's cost of your consumption, but the future cost of it the opportunity cost of how much that could be worth in the future. So mm-hmm. an example is, let's say, a Starbucks cup of coffee that costs 5 or $6, right? If, if you spend that every day, what? That is uh, 25 bucks a week. Let's call that 100 bucks a month and 1,200 bucks a year. That $5 of coffee, I know you can get two and a half pounds of coffee from Costco for 11 bucks, right? So basically your two cups of coffee, you can drink coffee probably for a whole month. If you make that choice and you save whatever, 90 bucks a month, that's $1,000 a year. That means if you plug that into the calculator and you're adding 90 bucks every month and that's compounding, how much is that? So over 20 years, That will be $62,000. So I just looked it up and your instinct is on the nose. The average person that drinks coffee at Starbucks actually does spend $1,200 annually. Of course, people have other coffee choices, but that is so interesting and so scary and motivating to maybe (laughs) rethink your cafe expenditures. Okay, so... We're discovering that we can apply opportunity costs to our personal finance by becoming more aware of our spendings and the consequences or the opportunity costs of that. If we're spending money on something now, what are we possibly losing out on? And if it's worth it to you to continue your lifestyle as is, knowing what 
it can be, then go ahead. I think this is a perfect segue into our next topic. So far, we've covered how we can apply opportunity costs to investing and then how to use that as a strategy. So how can we apply opportunity costs as strategy for personal finance? So in a macro strategy, what we can think about is a retirement. If you have an aggressive goal for your retirement, which is maybe retire earlier than 65, whatever your goal is, you can be more frugal to meet that goal sooner, knowing what kind of return you can get in the market. So it's not being frugal just to be frugal. It is to reach your financial goals of early retirement. So what is the opportunity cost of that cup of coffee? Is it costing you what we've discovered in 20 years, $60,000? That's about one year salary. So your retirement is delayed by one year if you have that coffee every day. When you put it that way, wow. That's just the $5. Think about all the other things that you could put towards your early retirement and you can be as aggressive as you want here. Right. Buying a new car versus a used car. Sometimes mm-hmm. that could be a difference of five to $10,000. And as we know, you can just use that compound interest calculator and then see if it's worth it to you. I want to reiterate that and really drive that home for folks, especially because this is a podcast that is centered around age as well. This is where you can start to apply it to whatever age you are. And I know that many of us associate retirement with being in your 60s, 70s, or 80s. And and if that's your goal, that's awesome. Cool. But what Sasha means that we can retire maybe 30, 40, 50. You set that goal and then you make the changes to your lifestyle and budget to reach that goal based on what's possible. I just want to say it again in another way. If you have a certain salary each year and you can change your lifestyle to save more each year, let's say you make $50,000 a year and you figure out that your spendings each year is your entire salary. You spend $50,000 a year based on your bills and your lifestyle, everything like that. Then you make the calculations. Can I adjust my budget to only spend $40,000 a year so that I will have $10,000 a year more? to invest. And then you just use the compound interest calculator. And then you can visually see how much faster you can reach your financial goals based on those numbers. And then you make some decisions. If I can make a suggestion there, you don't always have to think about how much you can save. You can always look at how much more can you earn, right? You don't Mm. have to just spend less. You can also try to earn more, maybe a, a side hustle, maybe upping your skills where you mm. earn a bigger salary next year and invest in yourself. Opportunity cost of not getting that certificate or learning that skill is also those tens of thousands of dollars you could be making more per year that you could put towards investing towards retiring early. That's such a great point. I think a lot of us just think of saving money versus can I earn more? So if you have a goal, you either up the effort to reach that goal faster or you move the goal. So continue to play with the numbers that work for you, that apply to you, knowing everything that you've learned so far and weighing it against what your opportunity cost is. This is so much more than money, which I think will lead us to our final topic, 
the opportunity cost of your time. Can you please break that down, Sasha? Yeah. So if you remember when we talked about what money is, a way to think about it, money is just this tool we use to account for human energy and time, the most scarce resource we have. Whatever we produce, we trade that for money, right? So you shouldn't only think about the money that you could have saved or invested and the money that it could have made. That is literally the time of your life that you could have saved. Because if you retired early, maybe 10 years, you just bought yourself 10 years of freedom. Nothing wrong with working your entire life if that's something you really enjoy. But if you're doing something maybe you don't enjoy as much, that you don't feel is your life's purpose to be doing, not your igikai, as Japanese call it, your reason for being, and Mm. you're doing it just to earn money to exist and live, then you should think of the money and opportunity costs of that money that you could be making through investing your life force and energy that you could be getting back. Oh, that is so beautiful and powerful because at the end of the day, we are talking about money and investing, of course, but it's really just about your time and your quality of life. And money and investing is simply a vehicle to prioritize living your best life. And everything you just said right now, Sasha, of looking at your entire life and how many of us give so much of our time to earning money and often for the sake of only earning money. And it could be really painful to realize how much time you'll never get back before you became financially literate. But I do want to say that it is never too late to educate yourself and to take what you've learned to live your best life now. So lean into it, accept whatever has happened and use this knowledge to live your best life now. Yeah. And we're not saying to cut back on your coffee or that dinner at the end of the day. If those are the things that give you joy in life, if that is your motivator to keep going to work hard, if that is the fuel that's lighting the fire under your ass and making you happy, that's not what you should skimp on. It's important to stay motivated and happy. And the reason to do anything is to live life and enjoy it. So just find the things that are not necessary that you could cut out or find ways to make a little more money to invest and just make sure to invest. Oh, that is so beautiful. And yeah, with all of this, it's about balance, right? So don't go crazy and and thinking every single time you spend $5 on a coffee or $50 on a dinner, you're like, oh, this could be so much more later. While that remains true, you also have to live. Okay, well, this is the end of our first series on why you should invest. Now that we know what money is, what inflation is, what compound interest is, what average rate of return is, and opportunity cost of capital, we have a solid foundation to go to the next level and learn deeper concepts about investing in stocks, real estate, and crypto. That's right. So for those that have been staying along with us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Sasha, for being my amazing co-host. And we are so excited and looking forward to this upcoming series. Thank you for joining us on this series and journey to learning more how to reach financial fitness, made the power and the force of compound interest be with you. 
All right, drivers, if you are interested in more free content or you want to support the podcast, please visit sirenthriving.com.